This is Other Voices. We're listening to varied views from local people who might otherwise not be heard. I'm Melissa Hale Spencer, editor of the Altamont Enterprise, which focuses on Albany County, New York. I'm talking to Brian Farr, the founder and director of the historic U.S. Route 20 Association. Route 20, of course, is Gilderland's major thoroughfare. Farr believes that travel along Route 20 can be about more than getting from one place to another. He's been invited into people's homes for dinners and values the foods that are unique to each region. Traveling Route 20 will be different for every person that makes the trip, he says. Maybe you'll find that higher being or find yourself. If you travel only because you have to, you're missing out. is it you became interested in Route 20? <laughs> uh, it started a long time ago. Um, as a kid, our family just took uh, 20 to go to Buffalo uh, to go to Darien Lake. Uh, that was the way we went to Darien Lake every summer. So that was my childhood memory of taking uh, Route 20 on hot summer days back when you didn't have AC in the car with a whole bunch of kids, you know, for a three hour ride, you know. <laughs> and tell us so, about Darien Lake. I know because I used to live in Buffalo, but some people might not know. OK, uh, Darien Lake, it's it's sometimes it's Six Flags. I can't remember if it's Six Flags again or not, but um, theme park. It was just the place to go every summer out in uh, western New York uh, for a great day of adventures and roller coaster rides and water slides, all that good stuff. So that's um, that was a family thing to do. Um, it still is. I mean, it's still there. But, you know, as a kid, that's just what I remember. And I remember taking 20 and thinking how long it took <laughs> to get there because um, I grew up in the Finger Lakes region and it was only, you know, a two and a half hour ride, three hours. But still, you know, as a kid on hot summer days, it was long. Yeah. So that was my, so that was my earliest recollection. But then um, growing up on Cayuga Lake in the Finger Lakes, I remember there was a day I wanted to get out, take some photos, and um, I was just dabbling in photography. Um, borrowed a camera from my workplace. It was an old, old 35 millimeter camera. And went out, took some pictures, and it just happened to be on 20. And they turned out okay. I look at them now and I cringe a little bit because it's your first time ever doing this. But at the time, I'm like, wow, you know, it just sparked an interest. It sparked an interest in road trips and getting out. And eventually I moved to New England um, in the early 2000s for a job. And I remember seeing 20 all the way along the throughway and the Mass Pike, like there are all these exits for 20. And I'm like, oh, same road. Okay, that's kind of cool, you know. And um, eventually I thought it'd be a good way to see the country. I always wanted to do a cross-country road trip or a major road trip. And I was... Um, always looking at roads like Route 66 or Lincoln Highway, but they had been so well publicized um, and everybody was doing that, especially Route 66. And I thought, I want to do something nobody else is really doing. So um, I finally looked up the details on 20 and I can't remember exactly when I realized it went coast to coast, but um, I'm like, this is the road I want to take. Go Boston to Oregon two weeks, you know, just a simple once in a lifetime event only. I'm never going to do this again. And um, 
the only thing I had preconceived was I was going to take pictures. Um, I was, again, really developing some photography skills and thought maybe I could do a portfolio, write a book, and um, that would be my gateway to doing, you know, some form of photography. Excuse me. Um, so I had won a photo contest <laughs> um, a few years back and I thought, okay, well, you know, this is something I am interested in. So took the road trip, took two weeks to get across the country and uh, put the book together. And it was more when I was putting the book together, people started coming to me saying, well, one, it was looked good. They wanted to know more info on all the towns I had featured in the places and so to do some more research because originally this book was just supposed to be photographs and a caption like this is you know waterloo iowa that's it nothing more about what you're seeing and people are like, no we want to know the history we want to know more stories and i'm like okay and um so i'd write these t small towns saying uh just tell me a little bit three things about your town and they send me three page emails you know? <laughs> and it's like this is our history of our town this is what we do i'm like wow and then it sort of became, okay, well, I can do more stories. And when I was trying to promote the book a little bit, um, some of the towns were, and pl places were saying, well, you know, it'd be great to have more recognition on Highway 20. And I thought, how can we do this? And um, the whole notion of um, getting people to explore these towns because I thought I really enjoyed this. I really, really enjoyed what we saw, what I saw. I need to share this with other people. So that's where the organization sort of came in. Um, how do we get people into the small town? So we came up with historic route 20 and the name conjures up two things. One it's historic in nature, as far as going all the way back to native American paths all the way up to events that have happened on it and for the highway itself it was a cross-country highway um one of the first you know one of the first developed in the country so um you know and then everything has happened since then on the road and there's just so many little tidbits across the country of interesting things i'm like okay this is a good way um to promote this and then following up with that was so many towns were beginning to be bypassed and the um, overall theme, and we can get into it later though, was, you know, in New York state, it was a throughway that really hurt many of the small towns along the road. Yes. The throughway is there for a great reason, but these small towns suffered. And that's really where we started to focus in the past few years is a, uh, raising those profiles of the small towns that, you know, 20 pretty much that goes through. Well, thank you for that really fascinating <laughs> narrative, the intersection between one man's life and a highway. So the, yeah. it raised so many questions in my mind. I'm just familiar with the part that runs right through our town, <coughs> Gilderland. Mm -hmm. And just as you said, early Native American paths, and then it was a plank road. But what what made it a U.S. route, a highway? When did it become coalesced as this one giant, nearly coast-to-coast -coast road? Sure. Um, more or less what happened was, uh, there's a little bit of history just to give back was, um, yeah, they were early paths, but then they became the turnpikes. 
and it was more or less connecting some roadways across the country. So um, you had the Albany, originally it was the Cherry, Cherry Valley Turnpike that came from Albany out to Cherry Valley and then extended out to Casanova, then Skinny Atlas, New York, and then it eventually ex- extended out, known as the Genesee Road, out to Buffalo. So that's the early histories. So it became a very popular travel road. Um, almost became defunct, actually, in the 1850s because the Erie Canal was so popular um, that these roads weren't being used at all because, um, because they're putting everybody on the Erie Canal. But eventually, by the 1860s, 1870s, it sort of picked up again. And then it then move ahead into the automobile age, um, the early 1900s, 1910s. They were looking for good roads, and good roads were hard to find. And um, so then by 1921, the uh, federal government, I just use that as a blanket term in, in our conversations because there's so many different acronyms and names. I just say federal government to okay. say they, <laughs> they're the ones who are funding the projects, but there's so many different smaller groups. Um, but Congress passed the Federal Highway Act of 1921 that said, um, we need to improve our roads and we're going to allocate funds to the states to improve their roadways. And um, it took several years, but by 1925, um, the government came back to the state saying, you need to pick your best roads that you want to become federal highways to become, um, that get funding for improvements. And so the New England region met, the Northeast region, Midwest, all these regions across the country met up. And so it became... In New England, well, it was the Boston to Albany Road because that was the main thoroughfare. There was no name to it except the Boston to Albany Road. And then it became the Buffalo to, I mean, the Albany to Buffalo Road, the Buffalo to Cleveland Road, the Cleveland to Chicago Road. That's just how they designated that. And then by August of 1925, all these regions of the country met in Washington, D.C. to connect the dots. I don't even think back then they really knew what their what their full concept was until late 1925, and they decided on a numbering system, and therefore it was called the Uniform System of Highways, uh, because prior to that you had, you know, New York State was doing numbers, and there was no rhyme or reason for a number. It was just okay. This is road number one. This is road number two. However, this federal system then would put in place the lowest numbers in the north and the east, the highest numbers in the south and the west. And so they came up with 20, and 20 is sort of a low number. So that was in the began in the north and the east. But also that 20 is even, meaning it was an east to west road. And then the zero also meant it was a cross-country highway. So it went from the Atlantic to the Pacific. And so they connected all these dots that would become 20, and when you look at it across the country, it was pretty much your main highway through that area. So like I said, the road would connect to Buffalo and eventually go to Chicago. And then as it got further west, it was kind of more obsolete, but it did go to Yellowstone National Park. And uh, for a while there, it was called the Yellowstone Highway um, during these early times, too. So um, people knew that, oh, we can go to Yellowstone National Park just on this road. It was pretty 
Um, today we rely too much on GPS, but back then they just had this numbering system and a few names and you just knew, oh, I know where I'm going. Or at least we thought we knew where we were going. <laughs> but that's pretty much how 20 came into being. Um, it was put onto existing highways. So it wasn't built like the throughway was built or any of the interstate highways. These were roads that were already there. It and wasn't until yeah the 30s that they did some more improvements. But yeah, initially, these roads were already well established. So that's why it's, it feels, at least in Gilderland, like such an integral part of the community. But over my mm-hmm. lifetime, it's changed so much. And if you could just talk, because I assume this is true all across Route 20 mm-hmm. in the country. It used to be lined with little cabins and little motels. And mm-hmm. in Gilderland, there's just one motel left, the M&M. Um, but, uh, you know, it, just the way people used to vacation, I guess, has changed. And it speaks to what you were talking about, some of these towns kind of getting bypassed or ignored. But if you could just kind of talk about the economy that developed sure. once the automobile took off right along those mm-hmm. a route like Route 20. Right. And that was the whole thing. Once you got these roads name, or numbered like 20, and that was the main thoroughfare. So people knew, hey, we can go on this trip. We, we know it's going to be improved. So then the smaller towns, um, these roadside motels started to um, pop up, the roadside cabins um, in almost every little town. And people could only travel maybe about 100 to 150 miles a day um, or so back in the 20s and 30s. That increased a little bit more, you know, as time went on. But in those early days, that was as far as you could travel in a day's time. So you set up all these little cabins along the highway, these mom and pop shops, you know, with a little restaurant attached, a gas station. Um, and the traffic then increased. So people could take their day trips. You know, they could go leave the Albany region, go to Buffalo for the day and not have to worry. Oh, this is going to be like a two, three day trip. They could get there in a single day. But, you know, you're um, but every town seemed to have these small little cabins that you could stay at. And um, I think that was the biggest part of these small town economies. You, um, and it was, it's interesting to see these old postcards. I mean, they're so popular and there were different names. Like some were cabins, but the name tourist cabin was really popular back in the thirties and forties. You were just traveling. You could pull in, um, get a you know, your own private little cabin. Uh, it was those, the motels that we more or less think about, like the line, long line of like, 20 rooms in a line that didn't come about to the 1950s and 50s and 60s. So it was very intimate. Um, You know, you could go out for the day or, you know, a weekend adventure and like, oh, we're just going to go for a ride. We know we can find a place to stay in a good, good meal and then come back home. And there were so many of these man-made I guess man-made attractions along the way too, um, kitschy little things um, that people could stop at as well. And that was the whole idea. You know, you wanted to sell your place, you wanted to sell your attraction. So there's just a few miles uh, west of you. There's the teepee, which came about 1950. Of course, an early uh, an early example of you know modern kitsch on a highway to just attract people to stop and. 
many towns had something like this and roadside architecture really started to, you know, um, bloom. And, you know, instead of just building a, a simple little, you know, square box, you'd build a lighthouse on your site, even though if you're in the middle of nowhere, but a lighthouse or the teepee, like I said, or um, a teapot. So this is this ideas across the country, but some make it stand out. Like we know people are traveling. Um, the only issue then came though, was these were good roads. So truck traffic and interstate commerce also picked up along these roads and by the 50s and 60s what i've learned was the traffic was so intense on highway 20 um, you know there'd be almost a mile or two miles of traffic in some areas backed up on certain times of the day because you had stoplights then developing and that was a real big problem so how do you alleviate that, that traffic problem through your town because you know you want a nice flow and people to come in but also at the same time you don't want to sit in a two mile backup and um, those are some of the sad stories that you hear then along the way um, because I think the the biggest story that I the best example that I have in the area is Cherry Valley um, which is about what, 30, 40 miles west of where you are. Uh, Cherry Valley, just a nice little town. But what I was told it had, and this is more or less reminiscent of every single town across 20 in the 50s. They had three or four car dealerships, two movie theaters, gas stations, restaurants, diners, places to stay. And um, but that the problem was the traffic. So New York state and in their infinite wisdom said, we're going to build a bypass around Cherry Valley because that was one of the biggest backups on 20 before you got to Albany. And so they first built that bypass in about 1955 and almost overnight, the town just dried up because everybody was going to, was taking the bypass. And I believe what I read was about three or four years later, some of the car dealerships closed up. They didn't need the two movie theaters, the diners, the restaurants closed up. And it, by the 1980s, Cherry Valley was almost a ghost town. And that's what's happened across the country. The nail in the coffin, though, for Cherry Valley and a lot of the places in New York, though, was the throughway that came in in the late 50s. Once you put that throughway in, and the disadvantage is that's about 10 miles north in some places um, of 20. So the, all these people that were relying on cars coming through, um, traffic, um, interstate commerce, you couldn't, they couldn't attract them into town anymore. And my biggest example today is even now, small shops don't have the budgets to put up billboards or the signs on the inner on the thruway. And so they, they get neglected. So you kind of have to know either this location is here or what's in that town. Otherwise they're just not going to come into town. And so that's where our goal comes in is to highlight these, these small towns and let people know this is what you want to want to see and do in these, um, in these locations and whether it's a big city like Boston or Albany or whether it's this really, really, you know, small town of 200 people, there's something there to see. And, you know, that's that's what we want to get people aware of. And that's um, it, 
that's where the um, motion is going with our organization. Well, this is a perfect segue into hearing about your organization. And I know you have a website that's very informative, but just tell us about the organization itself. Okay. Um, Our organization is Historic Route 20, and you can find us on the website historicroute20.org. And um, we founded that in 2012 as a nonprofit organization. And the mission is to raise the profiles of small towns, mom and pop shops, historic sites along the original 1926 alignments of Route 20. And um, so one of our goals, uh, ongoing goals, is to gain a historic designation for that roadway across the country. And this past year, we finally got that in Iowa and in Iowa now, it's a state historic auto trail, as they call it. And um, that took several years to get to get because it, it's not as easy as you think. And um, so we now have about about 250 signs people can follow across Iowa to follow the old highway across uh, the state there. So for New York State, uh, we thought it was going to be a similar process and started going at it. And... Um, visiting the small towns, talking to them about um, the promotion of the highway. And uh, uh, just a, it's a funny side story, but it does fit in was um, I get a call from New York State Department of Transportation. <laughs> and this is the bigwigs in Albany, um, just not like, oh, just some regional person. And more or less, they were I thought at first, oh, they were interested in what we were doing, but it was more of a um, what you're doing can't be done what the way you're doing it. And it was it wasn't a scolding, it was more just a here's some information you need to do and we like the project, you just have to follow the proper channels. Uh and it, you know, I look at it like okay, yes, I now appreciate that and I understand what I have to do in New York State, but it was just one of those this is the red tape working first uh, thing, you yeah. know. Yeah. Well, so what is the proper channel? What what so, course are you taking? So, so the proper channel for New York State that we found is, um, well, if you see the signs up in Gilderland, which are a few, um, they are appropriately placed and legally placed. And um, the state doesn't like that at all, which is what I found out. Uh, but it's on private property. Uh, so there's one uh, by the library and there's one by, oh, I'm, I forgot the name of the, it just slipped my I mind. I think it's the a nursery. Farm I think it's a nursery. Farm, yep. Gate, Gate Farms. Yeah. Gate I'm, Farm. Yep. yep. Thank you. Thank you. Um, there's one there and that's on their own property. Okay. So, so they can do it that way, but that's not the, uh, that's not the official way to do it or the, the right way, but locations kind of jumped the gun a little bit and they did it in a way that they can do it. Um, But the official way to do it is um, we need to go to every single state assemblyman and state senator to get them to sign on to a bill uh, and pass a bill that's along the highway. So I don't have to go across New York. So I don't have to go up to the Adirondacks or Long Island or anything like that. Just along 20. But get them to sign on to a bill supporting a state historic auto trail designation. And that's... um, I, I counted it up. I just can't remember the number right now. I mean, there's quite a few. And so we have a host city that's actually um, um, kind of helping us out with that. That's Canandaigua over in the Finger Lakes region. Um, they're helping us out with that. 
um, to get that going. But we want what we want to do is try to draft up all the appropriate language and then take that to all of our assemblymen and state senators um, across the state. And that'll be that's a winter project for us. That's what we're going to be working on and hopefully get that designation, you know, within a year, probably a year or two. It's going to take some time, but we definitely have the support, obviously, in Gilderland there with the signage up. Um, the people are very excited about that. We have some excitement. Uh, east of the Hudson, and then um, places like Sheridan Springs, Cherry Valley, um, then in the Finger Lakes, definitely, and then in Western New York. So we have a lot of support and a lot of locations that are very interested in the project. And overall, this isn't a, um, um, uh, let me step back here for a second. What we were originally thinking of was the scenic byway. And there is a scenic byway from Dwaynesburg over to Lafayette, just south of Syracuse. And we're thinking scenic byway at first, but what we found with the scenic byway designation is that is a lot of one work <laughs> um, to do, but it's very restrictive once they get that scenic byway designation, meaning there could be no more billboards and people wanted to change things along the road for certain things. They had to go to, through certain standards. There were certain standards for, you know, redoing sidewalks and some of the towns weren't on board with that. So for the auto trail that we're seeking, it's in it's legislatively designated in name and serves almost the same purpose, but it's not as restrictive. And um, with that, then it's recognized, though, by the state and by tourism as an historic auto trail. And many people, we, we just say, think of it as like they have the wine trails in um, the regions and it's something of that nature. So you can follow it and they would all be on those original alignments. And some of those alignments haven't changed since 1926 and others have. So it's just, it would just be a nice way to follow the roadway across the country. And, and a way to, to bring attention to it that might attract right. more people. Well, I, we're quickly running out of time, and I had looked at your blog, and I would just like to end with some kind of personal impressions. I mean, you've traveled this road. Just what are some of the most interesting things you've seen or some of the things that stay with you that you could just share about you know the length of this this highway yep. or also um, things that individual um, you know towns along the way have shared with you that, that struck you as right. particularly outstanding oh well i think first and foremost are the people um the people that i've met along the way uh you know i started this out as just a as a personal almost personal quest and i've met a lot of great people friendships along the way and the, the thing I found out is when you come into somebody's town and you just say we want to help you out and you know in a small way you know we just want to let people know that you're here they are so appreciative of that um, so by one example quickly is some of our Facebook posts I can spend two or three days thinking of a topic and researching it and posting it and, you know it gets some good likes but then there's days I just drive down the highway and I'll take a picture because, oh, this is a nice view. And it's viewed by 10,000 people because they think, oh, this is so-and-so's place or this is a, I know this place. I drove by here. This is my town. And I think people like that a lot more when you're actually sharing 
where people live. And so, you know, people have invited me to enter their homes and for dinners, um, you know, guests. It's been great. So that's the personal part of it. Um, the other thing is the food. You know, you get to try different foods across the country um, that are unique to various regions. And um, let's see, in stories. I think every, I, I do say every town has a story to tell, regardless if it's a million people or 20 people. They have some story to tell, you know. And um, I'm, I'm always looking for a great story. And when we do our presentations, um, the first one we're doing, um, which we'll probably segue into, is um, the history of the highway. So a little bit of preview there about what we, the history of the highway and what you see and do across the road. But then we do a follow up, usually a year or two later, because um, these these programs are pretty. Um, they draw in a lot of people, and that's what also I found is is fascinating to me because people are. They're coming to see me, but they're actually just coming to hear the story. And then our follow-up is the people and places. And I tell the stories, you know, there's witches out there. And this is like 1800s witches, witch stories. And, um, you know, crazy antics, like people roller skating across the road. Or what did other people do? And, um, again, you could go on and on and on about this. Um, you know, and the differences between, you know, New York State, which... And then Wyoming, and you're on the same road. And how is, how do they differ? You know, um, like there's a there's a monument to the town madam <laughs> in one of the towns in Wyoming. And I'm almost thinking to myself, it's like, you know, yeah, why you think Wyoming, but then but that's the Wild West, and you know they have that, but I don't think we would be having that here in New York State. You know, <laughs> so you know it's just I I just like throwing that out there because it's so different. And um, so when people get to travel the road, they, you know, they're, they're always asking me, what's the experience going to be? What, what's my experience going to be like? And I'm, I kind of say, you're going to have an experience, but I can't tell you what that's going to be. You know, whether it's you're going to run into somebody and talk to them for hours and meet a new friend. Maybe you'll find, you know, that higher being, whether it's God or some other form that you believe in. You know, you're going to find yourself or you're just going to come back saying, I had a great time. You know, this was much better than I thought, because, um, you know, if you live in the area and you only travel Route 20, you know, because you have to, you, you're kind of missing out. And when they realize, wow, this road is beautiful, all the small towns, the people that they're going to meet. And that's I think my two takeaways are when you travel, get out of that comfort zone of. I don't like talking to people. Just go in and be like, hey, what's your best dish? Or, you know, what's the best thing you have here at your restaurant? Or just go and say, hi, I'm traveling across country on 20. I just want to stop in and see your location. And you know what? That's open. That can open up the floodgates of conversation stories. And I think you're going to come away with something a lot better than if you just just go out and, you know, kind of keep to yourself. I mean, that's all that's also fine. But it, it just adds to that community. And that's one thing we're trying to create is a, you know, community. We're connecting the communities across the highway, across the country. Um, I think that's my takeaway is 
connecting all locations across Route 20. And today, especially, it's so important because we're such a divided nation. And to right. be able to travel through and mm-hmm. meet individual people along the way. My yep. husband's family is from Eddyville, Oregon, and they had Route 20 going right through their farm. Oh, yeah. So when he came east, we were married. And here I live in a town that has Route 20 going right through it. But they <laughs> couldn't be more different worlds. Exactly. You know, rural exactly. sheep farm, suburban sprawl. And here we're in a weird way united. So, yeah. You are. And I was uh, just to say to that, too, is I have found, you know, the the big media will make out more than I think what it is. You go into these small rural towns in Wyoming in the West and, you know, whether you're conservative or liberal or whatever it is, it it really doesn't matter that much. People, you know, if you just go in with visiting, it's people are very nice regardless. And I think it's just, you know, that's something that isn't kind of reported today. We think we're divided and it could be, it's true, but it's not as bad as I think people you know, if you actually get out there and that's my biggest thing is like, get out there and just see the country because you know what, you never know what you're going to find. And, you know, you could, you could find your, you could find yourself talking to somebody that's totally opposite of you, but you know what, in the same, you're still, you know, you still have some common things in, in, you know, in common with each other. So, you know, if you do that, it's, it's a happier place, I think. Well, I love that for an ending thought. Thank you so much, Brian Farr. And just to review, he will be speaking, and it's a video conference call, so anybody can join in this upcoming um, session of the Gilderland Historical Society. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me this morning.